Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. Where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are. On our phones and in the language we speak. And yes, we know, we say like a lot. It's kind of the point. Because politics needed a rebrand. Welcome back to Girl on the Go of the podcast. We're back with a fresh episode, fresh interview, and excited to dive in. We are. Although, you know, we might need to call poison control on yours truly because I just put lip gloss on because obviously and can't find my chopstick. And my tongue is now tingling because somehow I managed to get it on my tongue. And I was like, why is that happening? And I guess it's lip plumping gloss. Mm, I love a good Am lip I gonna? Am I going to die? Is this how I go? Oh, no. The amount of lip gloss. Peach Bellini lip gloss. The amount of lip product that we inhale and swallow every time we apply it. It's like. That's a good point. That's a good point. Is Well, but but again, that could definitely be slowly poisoning us over time. A thousand percent. That's probably a part of the patriarchy. You know, they're just trying to slowly kill us. Oh, well, that's a fact. That's not a that's, that's not negotiable. Not, well, like, that's just, just like not a surprise at this point. I mean, like the chemicals in tampons. Yeah, you're like that's that's just a Monday. Didn't know it was pumping. I have no problem with pumps, but just funny because like I've never been even through the the trends like a lip centric makeup person at all. Like, mm-hmm. I just don't really look good with lipstick on. I've tried. Like, I have gone through the, okay, let me see if I can make a red lip work. Let me see if I do a pink lip, lip, like anything. It just, I'm an eye makeup girly for sure. Like, that's where I thrive, where it works for me. So anyways, nice long liner. story short, see lip liner. I look, I will show you at some point. I look ridiculous with lip liner. No, but it's also like, ridiculous. it's kind of like. It's kind of something you have to get used to for a little bit because like I was the same way. Like I used to hate how lipstick looked on me. And then I tried some like Kylie Lip Kit lip liner and it changed my life forever. Just like I I promise. I I promise. Just you. Okay. Here's here's what will happen. If someone at some point, maybe next time we do like a live show situation and we have a makeup artist do it that'll be like you don't need a makeup artist i literally anytime i do i look full clown granted we know i'm also not good at doing makeup so it's really a two for two here did you do lip liner and lip liner then lipstick yeah no that's 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 the thing just lip liner and then you fill in your lips a little bit with the liner so you don't look like it's not just like aligned so then you just like fill it in like a pencil with a pencil, fill in your lips a little bit, put whatever chopstick or lip gloss you like on it. And that's the trick. It's I not will like- give it one more shot, but let me okay. tell you, you're going to get like a, an array of pictures. It's going to be straight Get the Charlotte now. Tilbury Pillow Talk lip liner. You're going to make it's a good splurge on the first situation. I don't think it's like that crazy. Isn't that? Oh, probably I like 15 what. bucks. Oh, 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 okay. Yeah. I don't know. It's probably a little bit more than that, but it's not like anything crazy. But yeah, anyways, sorry. I just, I'm a big, big proponent. I just got one of my friends like to start using lip liner and now she's just fully obsessed. She used to only use this like Nivea pink shimmer chapstick and it was like her thing. She was like, I'm a Nivea shimmer girl like through and through. And then she started to play a little, play a little bit with lip liner and now she's in her liner era and just slaying. Okay, I will consider making some moves. You know, I'll, I'll pool some of the recommendations. Okay. Well, I also just wanted to kind of use this also to segue into something. Oh, okay. Which is Marjorie Taylor Greene. And you might say, what? How? But okay. she's made a few absolutely obscene comments this week. 
one of them obviously being saying that oh she, she would comes have won. from her lip lined lips no no no, no 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 not that oh okay no this is the one i told you i wanted to see a raw reaction to there's mm, two okay. there's two comments she made there's one today and then one the other day where she said if she planned the insurrection that she would have won which we were gonna maybe talk about a little bit yesterday but we we saved for today look <laughs> here's the thing the concept of like the world's dumbest criminals. Mm-hmm. She is yeah. a great example of that. Like she's like the sticky bandits from Home Alone, where yeah. does the crime not only is a putz throughout the crime, right? You're like, oh my god, I can't believe like they just put their head in a bucket of goo situation. But then is dumb enough to literally say exactly what they did or how they would do it. They're like, let me give you my itinerary. Yeah, she said the so, mob would have been armed and would have won the insurrection. She then later on said something like, do you know what sarcasm is? Like, you know, trying to backtrack. These are the types of people that are in, in Congress right now, which is just obviously she is like the worst of the worst, but it's just pretty abhorrent and... And that goes to show, like we interviewed, I don't know if you guys remember, but we interviewed Congressman Welch, who is now Senator-elect Welch. And we asked him, like, what's it like working with people that are just absolutely absurd like that? It's well, been- you know what, too, that like what lives rent-free in my head is that video mm-hmm. of like her and AOC on the House floor, like arguing about something. Why don't and- I remember this? Oh, yeah. There's like a video of them like on the house floor, like almost screaming at each other, but you can't hear anything. But I'm like, I would have died to be able to just hear what was going on in that conversation. Mm. But here's See, the second would have been thing. the day to be in the gallery for us. That would have been the day. Here's the second thing that Marjorie Taylor Greene said this week that I guess I tried to use a segue from the lip liner into this <laughs> because she criticized Kamala Harris fashion choices oh. as if. She has any fucking say, first of all. So she said, Kamala Harris, she's so bland and her clothes are so brown and neutral. She's trying to do the whole gender neutral thing or maybe disappear into the background that you can't see her. Racism aside, just putting that on one part of this shelf of conversation, (laughs) neutrals have been literally like the number one trend in fashion for the last timeless they're always timeless for sure but specifically brown and warm colored neutrals have been the creme de la creme of trend mm-hmm. so literally stick it up your butt Marjorie meanwhile Taylor. she is you know a big stan of the color you hate red oh she is the ambassador <laughs> for the color red <laughs> Like, which is the number one offense. You know what I mean? Like, once I see, like, that's the color someone's all about. I'm like, oh, it's Mm -hmm. not going to be, it's not going to be us. You know, it's, yeah. sorry to say it, but yeah. MGT criticizing anyone's fashion or glam is never okay. One of the more obscene things she's really said to, especially to come after the queen herself. Such an odd thing. To go after. And I think mm-hmm. she said it actually like in a speech. Let me double check. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a video of it. She was like at a podium speaking somewhere. Yeah. It's just so interesting. Like she especially... paused for dramatic effect, waiting for an audience re- reaction. She was instead met with an awkward silence. <laughs> well, that's iconic. <laughs> she literally inserted that into a written speech and it was like prepared like that's so embarrassing for this isn't the white house correspondence dinner where the whole premise is to be roasting each other or even like a press briefing where it's like you know biden sometimes makes jabs at people just off the cuff you know but the fact that it was like prepared in a speech there are so many times where I literally am like, LOL to the person that was assigned this task in politics. (laughs) And I will never forget, there was like this ridiculous poster moment this fall from Joni Ernst's team. And well, it was presented with her, but I knew obviously someone on her team was assigned this like basically paper mache poster that had Joe Biden as like a little paper figure moving up the like paper mache hill. And I was like, who... Someone was assigned that. That was a part of their mm-hmm. day job. So I wonder who her speechwriter is, because it's obviously like not your classic like speechwriter who's been in the game, like studied 
speech writing, like, you know, or it could so. be, it could be like, it is not for nothing as much as we're like WTF, what the hell it's on brand for her. Well, I also feel like she might be one that like, doesn't really use a speech writer, like obviously like has her team, but she think what we see is exactly who she is. And like, that's kind of the appeal for her, for her, like voters maybe right. is that she's like one of those genuine, like not genuine, but like real, like, you know, the Donald Trump's of the world, they just say what they feel. They're not like establishment polished politicians. And like, so she's like, well, let me write my speech. And then shit like this comes out and you're like, you're a what again? Congresswoman? Oh. I do think that that approach can be really effective. Like John Fetterman is such a great example of that. And I don't think that necessarily everything always being so buttoned up or, you know, smoke and mirrors is the right thing as a result. And in a positive way, you see who this person truly is. Yeah. Well, I think one of my biggest grudges too, that I will hold to this day is that the Democrats didn't take that initiative on like finding the candidate who will just Raleigh speak and like be relatable and all the things like Donald Trump coined that, you know, like I just hold a grudge for the Democrats for not like making that move first because it's what people have always wanted. And that was like really the first appeal about Donald Trump was people were like, oh, like he's not a regular politician and everyone's sick of that brand of like the establishment polished politician. So it's like, I feel like the totally. Republicans got the jump on that and I fucking hate it because that was something I always like wanted to out of as a voter. I was like, I want someone who's like just real and like I can relate to and it's funny and, you know, just whatever. If I run for office, I would do that. I would be like, I literally don't care whatever whatever this consultant is trying to tell me to do. Like, no, sorry. It's too hard. Me. I also feel like neither of us are good at being on script. No, we've tried. It's just not. We've tried, guys. <laughs> we have tried so many times. Like, and it was just not, not the vibe. But I do think we need to get into this interview now. Um, but before we do, just gonna shout out our top stories episode that dropped yesterday. That we talked about the government spending, what's happening in Congress. Also, Biden reinstating a task force on immigration, Mayor Bass in LA making history, and all of our thoughts on Kirsten Cinema switching to being an independent. So go hear that because we we rant, let me tell you. Totally. I also would love to have Mayor Bass on the show to side note. Mm-hmm. One little housekeeping moment. And that housekeeping moment is an exciting little drum roll moment because we did a little rebrand. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a Pull mini rebrand. Oh, wow. Now we're going to the theater. Anyways, you guys have heard us talk about our brand ambassador program, which is really focused on political networking and creating community amongst young people that want to talk about politics, share action items, network with one another, laugh about, you know, ridiculous political memes, the whole nine yards. Nonetheless, we had been calling it the brand ambassador program for time immemorial, and it just like didn't feel quite right, like the right representation of what it was. Like it was giving affiliate marketing program, to be honest. Yeah. You know, and like nothing wrong with that, but just in terms of what the intent was, we just didn't feel like it made a lot of sense, but could never really think of the right thing. We finally did. It dawned on us. We had a moment. It is now we had a, we had a brand ambassador give us the idea. Oh, I totally forgot about that. So shout out. Oh my God. Okay. Wow. Memory of a fly over here. But also and- just a plug to that's part of what you can do in the in this mm-hmm. program is that you can give us feedback on this brand, on rebranding politics, what you want to see, who you want to see on the show. You have a direct line of communication to us. And that's that's part of this program. And clearly we're implementing. We didn't even say the name. You know that. Right? I know. I like trying not to say it yet because <laughs> we haven't pulled the curtains. But this is what this is the role you can play, I guess, is my is my point. And the role you can play is in the Gov Club. So the, Gov the Brand Club. Ambassador program has now been renamed, rebranded as the Gov Club for our brand ambassadors that are currently in it. They already know. They already got the jump on it. So nothing is changing in terms of the actual specifics of the program. So if you're on our website, you're reading about it, same thing. The website has been updated. Thanks, Maddie, because we we know I did not do that. 
We know. But nonetheless, the website has been updated. So everything now says the Gov Club. So if political networking opportunities sound up your alley, sound like something you'd want to be involved in or get access to, go apply on our website, girlonthegov.com. Check it out. Welcome to the Gov Club. Mm-hmm. I just feel like the even like the merch that'll come out of that at some point. I'm just seeing the cutest so cute. like vintage like tennis crew necks and just, you know, yeah. like yeah, it's giving all of those things. So join, join the Gov Club. You can go to girlinthegov.com and learn about it, sign up. And once you sign up, we will set up a call with you and get you into pro- the program. Okay. Well, do you want to introduce our guest now? Introductions, introductions. So in this particular episode, we get into media literacy, which if you've listened to any of the podcasts that we've gone on ourselves, you know, we talk about this a lot, some tips and tricks for how to be media literate, how to actually make sure your news sources are diverse, what to look for in terms of misinformation, disinformation, et cetera. You guys know we also recommend Ground News like nobody's business. Hey, Ground News, pay us. Thanks. Love you. XOXO. Bye. Anyways, we also wanted to bring on some experts here, specifically one expert that can really talk about this issue from a lens that's above our pay grade. And that is Ashley Edwards at Google. She is in charge of US Partnership. She is a part of the news media team at Google. And she has given us so many tools. And there's so many tools that Google specifically provides. We're getting into all of these tools, these tips, these tricks, the things available through Google, things to look out for, including red flags with news media, et cetera, actually walks us through so many useful tips. So without further ado, and with a few less rambles from yours truly, <laughs> here's, <laughs> here's Ashley. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. All right, let's get into it. First of all, obsessed with your sweater because it's pink, which thank you. In case you can't see here, we are all about the pink, like constantly. <laughs> Except for our outfits, I don't know. We did a little Wednesday Adams moment, but I usually wear all black as well. But it's our holiday dinner tonight, so I tried it to be a little bit more festive today. So cute, <laughs> obsessed, obsessed. We'll need a full review on how the party goes and all of the deets because we love a good party, but. In the meantime, we need to talk about your role at Google, which is in U.S. partnerships. Can you Mm -hmm. give us the lay of the land? Like, what does that role entail? What does that mean in the world of Google? Sure. So essentially, as a U.S. partnerships manager, I work directly with newsrooms, journalists, and journalistic associations to build programs and initiatives that help combat misinformation, promote media literacy. And I also do a lot of training initiatives with journalists. I'm also huge on diversity in media. So that's a huge part of my job as well. I also run our fellowship program for students and recent graduates. So there's a lot there, but that's like a quick summary. Yeah. Well, what really led you here? We know you were a journalist and an editor before. What did you focus on in that work? And then also kind of how did it lead you to this role? Yeah. So I've actually been in a lot of places in my career in journalism. Right out of college, I worked at PIX11 News, which is a local TV news station in New York City. Then I worked as a copy editor at the New York Daily News. Then I was a senior editor at Mike, which is a digital native news site for millennials. And then I was most recently the senior, sorry, the news and politics director at Refinery29, which is a women's publication. And that kind of led me to Google. I've always been really interested in how you can use technology to tell really cool stories. And it's really interesting just working on the other side of things now. Totally. totally. Well, also love Refinery29. Love. Yeah, it was a really fun job. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of those ones where it's like always saved in the rotation, like the bookmarks always have Refinery29 up there. Yeah, so it was very fun to work there. <laughs> <laughs> love a moment like that. Well, thinking about the journalism arena, thinking about that end of the career, like what 
first of all, got you into that space too? Because we're going to really dive into the world of journalism. And I'm just curious, like from your experience, whether it was like growing up, going to school, like what pointed you in that direction of let's get the journalism vibes going? Yeah. So I always liked to write as a younger person. And then I had a huge desire to be like an on-air TV reporter. But then when I got out of college and I worked at a TV station, I kind of quickly realized I didn't really want to be on air. But I always really liked to write and tell stories. Journalism just seemed like a natural place for me to go. I can't remember wanting to be anything else besides a journalist, honestly. I love that. Look at you. (laughs) I, oh my gosh. I feel like both of us too are like, have the least like linear paths. And I couldn't tell you. I was a journalism minor, which is like, well, kind of what we're doing in a way. Oh, that's true. Well, actually I'm semi-lying because when I entered college, I had a brief moment where I wanted to be like a social worker and my major was actually sociology. And I quickly changed that to journalism, which I think my sociology, like those two years helped me with my role in journalism a little bit but that I quickly very internship where I talked to some social workers and I was like this is not for me so I went back to journalism yeah oh my gosh well glad you're here glad you're still doing the work (laughs) and we want to get into I have a stupid question segment to really dive in to media literacy and all the things and so to kick it off like what is fact checking and I guess what is the criteria for for even doing that yeah so simply put fact-checking is just verifying information, seeing what the source and recognizing if it's credible or not. And when it comes to fact-checking, there's no like overarching body that does it, but there are a lot of organizations that do it. We have a a partnership with the International Fact-Checking Network, which is a collection of fact-checkers. We promote events and independent fact-checkers to in in different languages and many different countries. So yeah, it's, it's different for a lot of places, but there's no one body that kind of judges facts on the internet or elsewhere. Mm. Gotcha. Interesting. Because I was going to say, like, who is the ultimate fact decider? Like, how do yeah. you determine, yeah. you know, how has that even come together? Yeah. IFCN is a great organization. They're through the Pointer Network, who we actually work with a lot on a lot of different initiatives. So IFCN, they will fund different fact checkers in different languages, do fact checking events. Some other things we do with Pointer, we can get into that a little bit later, is a campus correspondence program where it's a group of college students who work with their their peers on campus to teach them media literacy and fact-checking skills. So there's just a lot of different ways, different organizations that are a part of it as well. Got it. And like within that, I know verification was one of the vocab words dropped in there. What is a verified source and how do you know if something's verified? Yeah. So a, a verified source is pretty much like, you know, a source that has been assessed to be credible and reputable. And that could be done through fact checkers or other like, say, like government agencies. Like, you know, you go to a government site, you know, that information is official and and right. Again, there's not one source that does it, but um, those are some, some ways you can tell. Mm-hmm. Wait, also, can like a source also ever become not reputable, like have a transition period, be like it was good and now it's getting the ax. Yeah, I definitely think that is totally possible. Media is always changing rapidly. And, you know, some websites that were reputable 10, 20 years ago change things change hands, change ownership and and things are a little bit less credible than they usually are. So it's always important to like check, always think to have multiple sources. You read something, don't just say, oh, okay, that's a fact. Google it and see if you can find several other sources or websites to back up that information. Google it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Low plug. I love it. Next one is, what is a primary source? So a primary source is like, say I'm interviewing you and you give me a direct quote on something and that's a primary source or like a study and there's a data set directly from that. So like if I'm interviewing you, you say something, I write in a story that was a direct source, source information. Mm-hmm. Got it. Wow. Journalism class is coming back to me. I did take it once. Yeah. I, I had to remember all of this from Journalism 101. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I definitely took this class as well. So, but 
totally like the best classes. Yeah. Love it. Okay. Well, speaking of those classes though, we do have another question within this, you know, type and that is what is a secondary source? Yeah. So a secondary source is like one removed from that. So like, you know, I didn't necessarily interview you, but I took the quote from somewhere else or there's a book about a topic or something like that. That could be a secondary source of information. Mm-hmm. And Got what it. if a source wants to remain remain anonymous, like in this process, does that impact the verification of that source or the credibility of it? Yeah. So a lot of different, a lot of news organizations, every news organization has like different standards for granting anonymity, but that doesn't mean we don't know the source, who the source is. We don't know their identity. If you grant that to a source, the news organization, the editor will know who the source is. And there's like usually very, very high standards to doing that. Meaning like, you know, somebody's life is in danger if they were to be speaking about this or their jobs, their job is at stake as well. It's not something done lightly, but it's something that I've had to do in my past role as a journalist. And it's definitely not taken lightly. There's a lot of steps. And usually if an anonymous source is telling you something, you on the background have other sources or other other sources to corroborate that information, but you just can't reveal who that person is or that source is. Okay. Totally. That and question with that though, like, you know how in certain articles it'll say like, an anonymous source provided information on XYZ. And then in others, it'll be like, the name has been changed to Chad for their protection. I don't know why Chad is the name I'm thinking of right now, but yikes. Regardless, <laughs> oy, I don't even know what Chad either. That's what's so ridiculous. But story aside, is there a difference in quality between those two types of, accredi- not accreditation, but giving credit? Yeah. So I actually have to think about that. I do think it's a style difference, but also I think that say you change the person's name to Chad in the story, you may offer other identifying details in the story. Like you can say Chad who works in this industry, usually with an anonymous source, you're just kind of keeping all the details off the record. But I think that's also just another way to grant somebody protection as well. I don't think I've actually ever changed a name in a story. If I've had to do that, I've just given made them anonymous Mm -hmm. okay well diving deeper into really all of this can you kind of highlight to some of the challenges especially when you were a journalist that you had when vetting information like what did you come across in your experience and yeah I guess what are some of the kind of issues that commonly came up when you were trying to like really get vetted information Absolutely. Especially when I worked in local news, there is a lot of breaking news that happens. And I find that in breaking news situation is where misinformation can really take hold because details are changing, emotions are high, and it's very easy for rumors to start flying on the on, on social media in a breaking news situation. So it's very easy for a journalist or just a a news consumer to kind of get swept away by misinformation. Like if something happens, the police say one thing, the information changes. That's a really prime time for misinformation. Yeah. Well, can you also, we should have put this in our, in our little section, but can you also explain like the difference between misinformation and disinformation? I think that's also something people interchange. Yeah. I think I use the words interchangeably and they are are two different things. Misinformation is kind of like information that can be misconstrued and taken out of context. And that doesn't always mean deliberately. Like, you know, somebody can have a fact and then the fact changes and then that information spreads. And that is misinformation, but it wasn't necessarily deliberate. Disinformation is deliberate and meant to like sow confusion or it has some sort of nefarious goal behind Mm -hmm. it like a disinformation campaign, that's the difference there. Interesting. So like you could make some sort of like word game in your head to remember it, like destructive disinformation, mistake, misinformation. Yeah, guys, this is how I pass tests. This is the only way. That's That's how I'm here today. (laughs) Yeah, because I think that people use them interchangeably and they are two different things. Like Misinformation can be nefarious, like be deliberate, but not all the time. And yeah. I think that's a key difference that 
many of times people who are well-meaning will spread misinformation just because they didn't they didn't know it was misinformation. I can't count the especially during the early days of the pandemic, you know, the family group chat, my parents or older family members sending things that they were sent from the internet, like being well-meaning, but I'm like, this is not true. But that's how misinformation spreads. Yeah. So if you know something is intentionally incorrect, should you always label it disinformation? Like what, in what circumstance would, would misinformation be intentional? Wouldn't it just be disinformation? Um, I think disinformation is more like a coordinated, it's like a coordinated attack, a coordinated plan for something. Like, you know, there's something happening and there's a group of people who are aiming to kind of sow confusion. And that, and that happens a lot of times on the internet and especially in natural disasters. A lot of people purposely do that to, for financial gain for Mm. lots of reasons. Yeah. Interesting. Well, talking a little bit more about this misinformation, what are some of the red flags that you've seen pop up with misinformation and also red flags that people should be aware of when they pop open an article or are watching a clip from something? Like, What are those things that really stand out to you? I think the first one is lack of sources. And this is a huge one that I see my older family members doing all the time. They'll share some like screenshot of something and there's just like no source to the information. They're like, well, this is happening. I'm like, where did you get this from? Who is saying this? And there's no source. That's a major red flag. I do think the biggest one that catches a lot of us and all of us is an appeal to emotion that gets you riled up, like gets you a strong feeling of emotion, like makes you really angry or makes you scared or makes you really anxious, like uses like really emotional language. Mm -hmm. It's a huge sign of misinformation. Also, like cross-posted content, like a screenshot of an article on and that's placed on social media, but then the headline may be cut off or the byline, which the byline, like the, the date and the author, that's an easy way. Like an article from five years ago is being posted as if it is posted as it's, it's, it's now. Those are some really big red flags for misinformation. Yeah. No, it's all super important to highlight. Well, and looking at solutions for all of this... Google launched and really has invested a lot into the Google News Initiative. Can you explain what that does? What does it encompass? All the things. Yeah. So essentially, that's our effort to partner with journalists and the news industry to create a sustainable, diverse, and innovative news ecosystem. Since 2018, we've trained over 550,000 journalists in lots of different countries. We've created a lot of programs. We have through our products and partnerships, just really working hand in hand with the news industry because news is really important to democracy and the health of society. So we need to make sure it's healthy in all aspects. Absolutely. Totally. And like for this program itself, How did it come about? Like, how did Google decide, you know what, this is an initiative we really need to take on as a search engine? Because I'm a Google user for sure, (laughs) thick and thin, but it's definitely not the only search engine around. So I'm just curious, like in it looking at the general landscape of search engines, how did Google decide, you know, this is what, where we really need to be on this? I started at Google in 2019. So I can't specifically speak to like the creation of the Google News Initiative itself. But from what I know about news at Google, I believe 9-11 was the, and this is something that you could actually look up, is was like kind of like the huge catalyst for news to be like a huge thing for Google and like in Google's DNA. When 9-11 happened, people were searching for information about Mm -hmm. what was going on. And I could follow up with this, but this is kind of like what spurred news being a huge part of Google's DNA was 9-11, actually. And I know, Amanda, if you want to like jump in and to find that exact detail, because it's actually <laughs> a really great story, but that is the origin of that at Google. Yeah, that's super interesting. I was going to ask if there was like some catalyst in, in the world that was or the a news event or yeah, that's super interesting. That was the major... Yeah, it was a major news event. And I mean, when 9-11 happened, I was 11 years old. So I, I truly don't remember yeah. what I was doing. But like, when you think about it, when something major is going on, like 
the first place you go kind of is like Googling for information. And that's now just like second nature to us, but it's also interesting the time that that was, and that was kind of like near the, the birth and dawn of the internet and you know yeah. what ha- people were just kind of starting to get accustomed to using it I feel like so it's super interesting and makes total sense we have a little origin story moment but <laughs> there's also MediaWise's campus correspondence program can you kind of explain what that program is and how it operates yeah so like I talked about before it's a group of eight college students who are attending HBCUs or HSIs, which are Hispanic serving institutions. And they're kind of like campus ambassadors for media literacy. They are talking to their peers, misinformation, how to spot it on the the internet, giving tips and tricks. And I do think there's a misconception that younger people are media literate all the time and like can't really be taken by things they see on the internet, which is definitely not true. Misinformation targets everybody, but in completely different ways. So this program is really trying to meet students and younger people where they're at and giving them tips of how to spot misinformation. Absolutely love that. In some of that trainings, we were looking through all, all of the deets. We saw a term called lateral reading, which wasn't one either of us were familiar with. Would you mind giving us the four on one on what that is? Yeah. So when you're reading something on the internet, you usually read up and down, but lateral reading is like you have a website open, you're reading an article, you're like, is this true or not? So you essentially open a bunch of tabs and start kind of Googling that information and looking for different sources to back up that information. So you're reading across multiple websites, multiple sources to kind of validate what you're reading. So that's, it's really simple. It's just really getting more than one source for the information you're reading. And I'm always an annoying friend who's like, oh, where'd you hear that from? And like, let me look that up. I know it's so annoying to people, but that's just always what I do when I hear anything. One, totally. Two, new term. Love it. Didn't know there was a term for that. Yeah. So we talk about it all the time, though. Yeah. Just like clicking through the article and making sure that you are kind of seeing the origins of everything. Super good tip. But yeah, we love now we have a term for it, Sam. Look at us. I know. We can use we usually it. Yeah. call it the rule of three of like whatever you read, you should read at least three resources on it mm-hmm. to see where like the holes lie or if there are holes or whatnot. But that's I like that better. So, yeah. you know, we got to love it. Well, but also, Google has made it really easy with this new thing we have called about this result. So if you Google something and you a link pops up, you just click three dots next to the link and it will show you about this source. So it can tell you about the website you're about to click on. Like if the website you're about to read is a satire website, that is uh, something I see a lot of people get caught on. They're sharing articles from satire websites, usually bad satire websites, but using about this result can give you like quick information about like the source you're about to read. That would have been really helpful in high school for me when I brought an Onion article to my economics class as one of my three pieces of (laughs) event news. So I don't think you should feel bad about that because as a high schooler, I don't think I would have fully known what the Onion was either. And, you know, it's satire and the Onion's actually very good at satire. So it's, it's not hard to get caught by that. Thank you. Now I feel better about it. It was yeah, so embarrassing. I literally, because it was one of those classic things too, where I was definitely not paying attention. It was like, okay, we need three current event articles for whatever the you know weekly assignment was. And I just printed three articles, whatever the thing I Googled was. It was just like, bada bing, bada boom. And the onion was clearly one of them. And my teacher looked at me rightfully. Like I had 10 heads and I was like, but see, <laughs> I think that's one of the huge issues we all face. And it's not about, you know, making us feel bad about that because we all can be victims of that. But there's so much information out there. We're bombarded yeah. with information constantly. And I think that's one of the big things young people and just everyone faces is just information overload all the time. So it's it's not hard to slip up like that. Yeah. Well, can you also highlight some of the tools that Google provides its users to check information. So we know like there's the reverse image search. Can you kind of explain what that does, like fact check explorer and other just tools that Google, like those three dots, whatever you mentioned, other tools that they provide. So I love reverse image search. This is like my favorite 
like party trick when someone sends me information. Funny story that happened recently. It was during the hurricane in Florida. My husband texted me and he's like, oh, look at this picture of this shark swimming in the street. I'm like, are are you kidding me right now? So this is a common (laughs) picture that kind of goes viral every time there's like a storm. It's like a Photoshop picture of a shark swimming in the street. It's a really great Photoshop picture. But, you know, using reverse image search, you right click on the image or just paste it into the Google search bar. You can see where that photo has been used before if it's been like tweeted like 10 years ago, but it's being like used as now or if it's been manipulated. And he's a pretty smart person, a very smart person. But that's how easily people can be fooled by things on the Internet, especially a really well photoshopped photo. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be photoshopped, just a photo out of context like that's usually like that's a really popular form of misinformation a photo taken out of context and used for something else so that's like a great tip for not only journalists but for just everyday people then about this result which is the three dots just to see more about the source and then we also have fact check explorer which is a collection of more than 150,000 fact checks it's toolbox.google.com Last fact checked, and you could just type in what you're searching for in a fact check on like it could be COVID, it could be the flu, it can be anything going on, and it will pull up a bunch of fact checks on that subject for you. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love that because it's just like actually at your fingertips because I feel like one of the issues with media literacy, besides that it's just like not taught at all in school, which is ridiculous, is the fact that people feel really helpless with it. And right now I feel yeah. like that whole sentiment has just continued to grow. Like people are so aware that there's a misinformation and a disinformation problem, but it's like, okay, well, how do I fix that individually? And it's, or how do I make my group chat fix that or the family group chat or whatever it is. And I feel like that is super helpful. I also would just like to say that the reverse image search reminds me of catfish so much. Like that is immediately opposite to mind. Yeah. A catfish. And I know that show is still on the air and I don't fully understand how it's still on the air with like Thank all the you. tools we have. I don't understand because yes. I haven't watched it in a really long time. But reverse image search, if you ever think you're being catfished, is a great, yeah. great tool. There's other tools also that aren't necessarily Google, but can do a similar thing with video as well to see if a video has been manipulated. I believe it's called InVid, but it's another tool that we actually train journalists on as well when they request training. So there's a lot of different ways. And it's all about making fact checking and just quality information accessible to everyone. With IOCN, it's not just in English. They have partnerships in, I believe it's 80 other languages, which is great because, you know, a lot of people are searching for this information and it's really important that it's equitable. Yeah. I also just kind of love, I feel like this conversation is really highlighting that, like you said, like with even your husband, it's like, it's not your fault. Like there's really great Photoshoppers out there or video manipulators or just information manipulators. And you can be the smartest person in the world and still get fooled by some of this stuff. Whereas I feel like sometimes, especially in political conversations, this is a political podcast, my like conservative uncles, for example, I'm like, Sometimes when you're like, well, where did you get that source? It's almost like comes across as like a condescending, I guess, like undertones to it that can kind of make people a little bit defensive, like, you know, and I think just it's important to highlight just how hard this is for everyone to kind of sift through this information and make sure you're getting it accurately because even like Google's having to make all these tools to make sure like we're equipped with the right information. Like it's not people's fault. I'm glad you brought that up because we have a partnership with PBS Student Reporting Labs, which is a program for high school students that teaches journalism school and they're pretty much reporters. So essentially the program is about, you know, kind of teaching these intergenerational conversations, teaching young people how to talk to the adults in their lives about misinformation. And it's about like teaching both sides skills. And it's not about calling people out and saying, you believe this, this is, you're dumb, you're stupid. It's about having a conversation about how did that person start believing that Mm -hmm. and what can be done to help them. One of the stories we did was about a woman who believed in conspiracy theories. A lot of conspiracy theories she highlighted and then Flat Earth was like one of them that, you know, somebody she was talking to brought up and she's like, if I believe things this guy believes, like there's something wrong with my belief system. And she actually used YouTube 
to help deprogram, kind of deprogram herself of these conspiracy theories. And she's not dumb. She's not a bad person. She said herself that, you know, believing in conspiracy theories, there's a lot of bad things happening in her life. And it was easier to believe that, you know, there's conspiracy that was affecting all these things rather than like some of the choices she made or just, you know, the the situation. So I think it's really important to treat people with like respect and empathy and not kind of malign people for when they Mm -hmm. fall for these things. Totally. And conspiracy theory, like videos and such, like I get why people get sucked into them. Like I've watched a few and you're like, Whoa, could that possibly, you know, and if you're not equipped with the right information, totally, if you're not equipped with the right information to be able to then, I guess, look into it further and, you know, get the accurate portrayal of everything, like it makes sense that people can fall into the spiral. Like, again, it's especially when it's like deliberately made to be manipulative in that way. Like, they're good at what they do, like making those videos and stuff, you know? So, during times. Yeah, especially during times of, like, chaos and just thinking about, you know, the early days of the pandemic when everyone was really scared, people didn't know what was going on, everyone's kind of stuck at home. It's not, it's very easy for you to be caught up in misinformation and conspiracy theories. It's human, kind of, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And I love TikTok, but once you watch one conspiracy video on TikTok, I mean, you're going down a rabbit hole. Yeah, And there's definitely no checks on there as to what's, you know, misinformation or what, but I'm curious in terms of Google, do you guys have any specific flags that you put around information that's a little sus or is there also a level to which a piece of information is just so sus, so wrong? Do you guys take it down? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. So we crawl billions of web pages on the internet and there's billions of searches a day. And we're not in the position to like fact check the truth or the falsehood of those informations. But the way our systems are built is to rank higher quality information, information that is, you know, people usually rely on that is more likely to be truthful. So it's like a ranking system. We don't use human curation. And like I said, there's billions of pages on the internet. So there's no way that anybody could do that. And we're not in the position to, we're, we're just here to give people access to the highest quality information possible and our ranking system kind of does that that makes total sense yeah billions billions is scary billions literally hundreds of billions searches and web pages on the internet but it speaks to how well the system works because if you do google something that's like covid or the the flu or anything that's going on if you look at the, they're all rep, it's reputable sources that you can trust at the top. And that's really what we rely on. Absolutely. That explains why the page where Maddie's being memed is on like page six of a Google search. That explains <laughs> it all. <laughs> oh, you're being memed. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, I honestly was so excited about it. I thought it was really funny. I was like, wow, it's well, gold. It. <laughs> well, I'm glad that it's not on the top front page of yeah. <laughs> the search results, but I it actually can't remember the left. Yeah, good. I can't remember the last time I, you know, scrolled super, super far into the archives. I, was, I don't because, think I've like, ever gone you, to page two, like, or at yeah. least recently. Because think, usually what you need is on the first page. Yeah, so. exactly. From the PR days, we usually had to, like, go to page two or three to find other publications. So I'm used to being, like, okay, two, page two and page three has, like, the smaller stuff. So I, I feel like it's in my DNA at this point where it's like, okay, like what's, what's happening on two and three. And then you just start clicking for the next pages and you're on page 10 by some crazy means. Another tool, (laughs) another tool I want to highlight that is not a Google tool, but is one that we train journalists on. And that is great is the Wayback machine. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's the Wayback machine and you can go to see like the archives of any website on the internet, like far back, like versions of them. So like, you know, you can use that to see kind of when a website was first made. I've used it for just like fun research purposes of going back and seeing like what the 17 magazine website looked like in 1998. But that's another way to verify the website that you're looking at. It's a great, great tool. Absolutely. I love that. That is so cool. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. Definitely we'll be doing that 
later today with literally up every publication under the sun just for yeah. fun. How do people access that tool? You just go to Wayback Machine. It's archive.org is actually the website you go to, but it's like the internet archive to see like the cache pages. So if there's a website that's kind of iffy and then like they websites can delete content, but the Wayback mm-hmm. Machine can capture that 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 moment in time on a website. Essentially, that's what it is, a moment of time on a website. So it's a great fact-checking tool as well as just a fun research tool as well. That's so interesting. Well, cool. Are there other ways that we haven't maybe talked about or just kind of final tips and tricks of like how people can really be more media media literate, especially just as misinformation gets crazy, technology continues to evolve so rapidly? Like what are kind of your, I guess, main takeaways for people to really move forward and, and be media literate? Yeah, I think it just goes back to like those basic skills that we learned, like when we were growing up, like I remember when I first got a computer and the internet first became a thing. It's just like, don't believe everything you see on the internet. Be skeptical of what you read. Even if it's a reputable source, get another source to back it up. It doesn't hurt to do that. It never hurts to find another source to back up what you said, what you're seeing on the internet. Lateral reading is a really easy one. I think reverse image search and just about this result is something that I've been using a lot, especially in the family group chat. When I get Mm -hmm. sent things, I'm like, here you guys go. This is what you use. But also not being too hard on yourself. Like if you see something and you believe it at first, find out it's fake, but also be very wary of things that are appealing to your emotion. I think especially nowadays, everything is so like heightened and like you're, there's a constant fight for your attention and your emotion. So really think about the motives there, that if you're reading something and it's making you really angry, think about why, what's the intention behind that and who could be behind that. So I just just think tempering emotions on the internet and just being skeptical is really, really important. Totally. Amen to that. Well, thank you for running us through these tips and tricks and some of these resources. Super excited for everyone to give them all a spin self-included. So just in case anyone's wondering what I'm doing tonight, that's what I will be doing. But anyways, thank you again for coming on, running us through everything. For those listening, where can everyone find you, follow you, give us the the plug? Yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter, on Instagram. I'm also on LinkedIn. My handle is Ashley Elise, A-L-E-S-E. It's my first and middle name. It's the same across everything. So that's where you can find me. But also the Google News Initiative has a training center where you can like take really short lessons on all of these things like reverse image search as well. It's just newsinitiative.withgoogle.com slash training. I can give you that link. That's like kind of long, but you can take really short lessons on all of these things there. Absolutely. We'll put Perfect. it in the episode description for everyone to go check out. But thank you so much for coming on. Such an important lesson in conversation. So we are super excited to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.